Yo, what up? Welcome to the Average Buds Podcast with Cush and Devin. Today we'll be talking about fat tax, chasing women, and the healthcare system. Before we get into the episode, we just wanted to let you guys know that I was having some technical difficulties with my audio. We couldn't tell till after the recording was done, so we apologize for the first couple of minutes where it's a little echoey, uh, but we hope you enjoy. So something I w- I've been wanting to talk about, and I was a little, I was a little afraid at first, um, just because this topic is is definitely considered controversial. Um, but now that we've kind of gotten into this podcast, and I feel a lot more comfortable, I think you and I can sort of talk about these things without getting hated on completely. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> um, so the main topic I wanted to kind of discuss today was obesity. Oh. And um, a better way of putting it is uh, the fatties. Yeah, the fatties out there. Jesus. Um, okay. And and, and I I'm not here to to sort of fat shame people for an hour. That's not that's not the goal that I kind of wanted to get to. What I wanted to talk about is the way that media presents obese people, the way that they did, and the way that they do now. Okay. Now, the way that I see it, the issue at hand is that before. There was a lot of like really good looking models yep. in, in the media. And there still is. That's still a thing. And as a result, a lot of people, a huge, huge population of people that don't even closely look like anything like those those posters, um, kind of had poor mental health because they thought that they were the the outsiders, right? And obviously none of us really look like those those fucking photos. In fact, even the people in those photos don't really look like those photos, right? So that was the problem before. Now we've sort of slowly transitioned and it's very small and minute, but we've slowly transitioned into having things like plus size models and, um, you know, a lot of people preaching like you have to love yourself no matter what. And that, you know, regardless of, you know, the weight on the scale or the, you know, how you look or the size of clothing that you wear, uh, you love the way you are. Don't try to change yourself and all that kind of stuff. Now, I do think that that's progression. I, I think that's good that we're accepting various types of bodies. But the main thing that I want to talk about today is I do not and I will never think that it's okay to tell someone that is severely overweight and obese that they should stay that the, the way that they are because they should love themselves and that they shouldn't change. Because at the end of the day, if you're fucking really obese, then you do have to change because science says that you're unhealthy and now you have a bunch of um, secondary issues. Now, the problem with that, especially in the Canadian healthcare system, is people that are obese technically, uh, typically have um, comorbidity in their, in their issues. So they'll have like a cardiovascular issue and that'll be paired with something else like diabetes. And that puts a huge strain on our healthcare system, right? Mm-hmm. So- Again, just to just to sort of encompass everything, and then I kind of want your your starting viewpoint on this is telling someone that is severely obese or overweight that they shouldn't change because they should love themselves is like telling an alcoholic that they should continue to drink a Crown Royal every night because they love themselves and they shouldn't change for anyone else. I'll leave it there for now. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I got. I even got a little mad there, bro. Sheesh. All right. (laughs) Um, it's all good. I've been, 
I, I need to get a piece of paper or something to start taking notes, you know, because I, while we're formulating our conversation and our arguments, if you will, uh, I always think of so many things and I just need to write it down or just like even just like a jot note somehow to, to remind myself of the points I want to talk about or address. Um, to start, I think personally, I, I have talked with uh, Anna a lot about this and you know, there's, there's a difference between, you know, plus size models. I wouldn't say plus size models are obese because they're, I mean, they are just more, um, realistic. I think there's, I think there's a lot of issues with the obese models. Um, I mean, are, are there really any obese models? Like I, I'm not really into the into the media, I guess, to where I can see these things happening. I don't think there's really any obese models. Plus size models are great. You know, they're more realistic. People can see themselves there. You know, they're still good looking people. They just aren't, you know, bulimic and not eating. So one of the downsides of the previous version of, you know, what's beautiful in media was, you know, super skinny size zero models, um, you know, that were eating very little and when they did eat they threw up you know what i mean to maintain that super skinny look and obviously that has health implications of its own so we're not we're gonna i'm gonna preface this with we're not saying that it should ever go back to that it's just gone a little too far in the other direction <laughs> so along with you know good physical health comes good mental health right so back then i feel like maybe they were a little bit physically more physically healthy which i mean isn't 100 percent true because of their like i said the bulimic and anorexic issues um but now we're moving into something that's on the opposite end of the spectrum where you know obesity is obviously and very clearly not healthy um so i think the body positivity thing is looking too much into you know having good mental health now we're forgetting about the physical health because it's 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 really great that you can be happy with who you are um, if you are 400 pounds because, you know, that lifestyle is very hard and, you know, they have their own mental health issues going on. So I think that, you know, being body positive to make sure that that person is mentally sane and, you know, feeling good is great. But I don't think that should change into some sort of, you know, delirium um, of you know, now I'm 400 pounds and I'm happy with who I am. So I'm going to stay at 400 pounds. Obviously they need to be happy with who they are, but they need to seek improvement. You always have to seek improvement. Um, and I've, I've been rambling for a while now. So I guess I'll get to my main point is, I mean, obviously obesity is terrible physically. Um, and the body positivity has helped some people. I'm sure, you know, have better mental health. So that's great. But I think it's pushed too far now. To the point where, you know, they're, they are happy with who they are, but they're still continuing to eat 5,000 calories a day, opposed to being happy with who you are, but always seeking improvement to get to a, a healthier weight. Right. And um, I, I, I agree with, I especially agree with your last point. I'm not saying that you shouldn't love yourself. I think, um, I think everyone um, should be able to look in the mirror and be happy with the, the, with the person that they are. Um, and I'm not saying that doesn't mean that you shouldn't continuously seek uh, self-improvement, but you should always be somewhat content with where you are in life because, you know, life's short or whatever the case. Um, 
so there's that there's that side of loving yourself um but when it does come to obesity specifically more severe obesity um you kind of have to look past that and be, be like like objectively speaking i love myself because i love the person that i am and that you know I'm, I'm obese, but that doesn't make myself worth any less. Like I'm still worth just as much as everyone else and the same as everyone else. And I do believe that um, people on the outside looking in should feel the same way just because someone's over, uh, not overweight, but like severely obese or whatever the case may be, they are still human beings and they are still our equals. So in that sense, yeah, absolutely love yourself. I just don't think that we should tie self-love with being over like medically overweight to the point where you're you're causing not only a strain on yourself because it shortens your lifespan and all the other illnesses that comes with it but you're also putting a massive burden in my opinion on the healthcare system which i would love to get into in a bit yep before i do that i kind of want to talk about plus size models again um i i want to make it clear that i i plus size models um or just models that, like you said, aren't anorexic or for men, they're not just fucking like shredded out of their minds or whatever the case is. Um, that's a good thing, right? Like we should have m models that are more realistic, realistic bodies, um, sort of modeling clothing so that, you know, basically any average Joe can go into a clothing store and feel comfortable with what they're wearing um, because they feel like they, they're wearing the clothes like they were supposed to be worn. Now, that being said, I I still, yeah, I agree. I haven't seen like obese models or anything like that. But that being said, I, I just feel like perhaps like severely obese people that are doing the whole self love, like, you know, I'm just going to stay the way I am and continue to eat the way I do and not exercise or whatever the case is. They're using media trends like that to sort of give themselves some form of relief and say, okay, be, you know, the media is saying that it's okay. So I love myself. And we're not seeing that enough. We're not seeing physicians come out enough being like, hey, you're overweight. You need to change. You know, right now what's happening is that people are like, oh, the physician said that, you know, I, I'm fucking overweight and this and that, but I love myself and, you know, I, I need to be the way that I am. Um, so, yeah, no, that needs to change. And I I love the, the, the social media trends, um, especially on TikTok, where you know again especially women that i feel like this affects uh women more than it does men but um especially women they're they're kind of coming out and they're saying like hey like i'm not gonna hide the fact that i'm overweight or that i have roles or whatever the case is um and they shouldn't because for the most part we all have some roles and we all have all that kind of stuff it's just the extent to which you normalize that is it okay to have roles or to be you know a normal human being absolutely is it okay to be so fat that you can't fucking get into a van unless you hop into the fucking trunk? That's not okay. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you're bringing this up because uh, you're sending me some snaps of were you watching My 500 Pound Life or something? Yeah, gang, gang. Yeah, <laughs> dude. My 600 Pound Life on TLC, man. That that extra sort of fueled my my um my want to have this conversation because holy shit now that that's a different extreme i'm that's a smaller percentage of people um because like you know 600 pounds is a, is a whole other fucking ball game at that point i don't know that there's as much self-love out there um and that's just being frank i'm i'm though that fueled this discussion i'm more so thinking of just like you know your classic 
fat person. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we, before we move forward, we should clarify that we're talking about, well, I mean, we're we're talking in these points uh, directed towards severe obesity, not just somebody who's overweight. Um, so that needs to be taken into account, especially for the people that, you know, can't see us and can't see our facial expressions. They might think we're attacking people that are, you know, just uh, overweight or whatnot. It's not the... Uh, not the intention no um to start i think we see um a lot of female models coming out as plus size so you mentioned you know that some male models aren't as jacked but we actually i i personally don't think that males are getting as much self-love as females are getting right now and given that i think theirs was a little bit more you know on the dangerous side of like the size zero models and stuff. So they're taking a big swing over to plus size models, but I've never seen a male model that isn't absolutely ripped. Um, so I guess it is kind of geared a little bit more towards females just because there's no straight up dudes have it a little bit more tough when it comes to, to modeling in the sense that there's, there hasn't been a switch yet. You don't see any, uh, males with some dad bods rocking on the magazines and shit. You know what I mean? You just don't. Um, so I wanted to just touch on that. And then you've made a good point about um, an alcoholic, right? Drinking every night because they they want to and, you know, it makes them feel good. Um, so we do also have to look at obesity as a, as a eating disorder or as a uh, food addiction. You know what I mean? So, you know, it is tough because when you're that deep into when you're severely obese, it's not, it's no different than being severely alcoholic. And I mean, obviously the health implications are different, but the, the stages of addiction, I feel like are the same. When I, when you're that obese, I feel like you've gotten to a point where you have accepted that you just had like, that you're just going to eat that much food and you're kind of, I don't want to say helpless, but if somebody confronted you about it, it would be that stage of denial or, um, you know, not wanting to do it because of whatever reasons. And it would be hard to do it because I do believe it's a a through and through addiction. You know what I mean? So I feel yeah, like I, I agree. I feel like it's it's not necessarily we're not trying to target the people either. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to cover our asses here because this is a, this is definitely a controversial topic. <laughs> And I'm not usually one to do it this much, but I feel, um, I don't know why I'm doing this so much. It's stressing me out. Anyway, moving forward. Yeah. Um, so it, it is an addiction. Uh, so we're not putting the people fully at, at blame here because I do believe it, it is a little bit more than just some simple willpower to get them out of that, that habit. Yeah. And, and one thing that people don't understand, in my opinion, a lot of people don't understand is when it comes to something like, let's, let's, let's talk about something a little bit more extreme, something that you can't get your hands on frequently as in, as, as, as an addiction. If someone's a, a, addicted to a harder drug like cocaine or meth, right? Ideally you wean off or you go cold Turkey in the perfect world. You go to some form of rehab facility and they can help you move through those things, both physiologically as your, your body responds to withdrawal symptoms. Um, and also just like the mental aspect. Cause a lot of the times, as we've talked about multiple, um, you know, during multiple occasions on our podcast, addictions are, are a result of a response, like a responsive behavior. 
um, whether you're feeling anxious or angry, you, you typically want to do something because it's convenient. It's better. It's easier than self-reflecting. Now, with cocaine or meth or whatever the case may be, you can just stop. You can you can keep that stuff out of your life. It doesn't need to be in, in your life in a, on a daily basis. Um, you don't just have coke laying around the house. You can throw that shit out is what I'm getting at. Um, with food addiction, it becomes difficult because you can't just stop eating. If you have a food addiction, it's a lot of the times it's not even just addiction to junk food. It's just like an addiction to either feeling severely full or just the idea of like eating. It make it, it like the, the process of eating comforts you. It, it um, releases endorphins in your brains, makes you feel comfortable, makes you feel happy. Um, and it kind of alleviates some of that, those stress factors. So yeah, you could look at an obese person and be like, well, they just need to stop doing what they're doing. But the thing is they're addicting, addicted to eating. And they, if they just stop eating, they die. So it's a lot different because you can't just wean off of it. You have to make subtle changes in your diet, whether that means um, at the end of the day, whether or not you gain or lose weight all has to do with calories in versus calories out. I can eat McDonald's all fucking day long and be way more shredded than the guy next to me because it's the amount or my body recognized the amount of um, the, the amount of calories that are going into my body. It doesn't recognize anything else. That's that is that it, that doesn't mean I'm necessarily healthy. But I can, appearance-wise, I, I can look a lot better. So in this case, yeah, you have to reduce the amount of calories. You have to make subtle changes in your diet by not eating certain triggering foods, um, like fast foods and, and fattier foods that may make you want to eat more. Um, and I think that must be said. And, and like Devin's, Devin's saying, I'm, in a sense, I'm trying to cover our asses as well because I think we both agree, like, we're, and we're not fat-shaming people. We don't hate fat people. It's nothing, like, it's it's... It has nothing to do with those kinds of notions that I'm sure people listening may try to create in their minds. It's more so to do with we understand what those people are going through. It's just not healthy for us as a society to promote that. We need to resist that. And on the other end of things, when you're looking at the the people that are obese themselves, they can't be overly emotional with a physician or somebody saying, hey, you're getting to a point where you're just unhealthy. We need to make changes in your diet. We're not saying you're worth less. We're not saying that you don't belong in our world. We're just saying that you need to make changes for your own well-being. Um, and then just quickly jumping back to the whole modeling thing, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a bit later as well. Women and men have it on very different levels. And I think in, in terms of how, how media and models affect us, um, are different sexes. Typically, I would say most, a lot of people think like women have it really tough because you either see like super like these, you know, six foot five, like super skinny, like model, Victoria's Secret model kind of women um, everywhere. Um, and even when you go down to like different types of models, man, when you're talking about teenage models, you're, you're they're looking for like, you know, what people would think are good looking. Um, or they have a certain like aesthetic to them that other teenagers want to follow. And you see that. You see that in trends. You see a group of teenagers walking and they're all they all look the same. Um, now, when it comes to the guy's point of view, I don't think they get quite enough attention. Um, I have seen like skinnier models and stuff for men. Like if, for example, if like a Vans model or a skate model, they're not jacked. They're, you know, they're skinny because skater boys are fucking lanky. Um, so they typically try to like, they find models for the job. Um, I've seen like things in Home Depot and, and like 
construction sort of uh, magazines of men um, that maybe don't look like they're in their greatest shape, but they look like they are contractors. They look like they fit the job. Um, but kind of going back to the extreme, tell me that you've seen a clone model with a guy that doesn't look like David Beckham. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> and re- relating back to that, just real quick, our TikTok trends and our Instagram trends, like there are all these memes and fucking social media posts of women saying like, hey, you're not six five or six foot. I don't want you. You're not fucking D's out of your mind. I don't want you. You don't have money in your bank. I don't want you. But if a guy comes out and says, hey, if you don't have, whoa, I was going to say something. <laughs> if, uh, you know, if you don't look a certain way, uh, then I don't want you. Then that guy would literally get fucking tarnished from the Internet. Think about that. Yeah. So, I mean, if we take a, a little sidebar here away from the main topic of obesity and we go into kind of male versus female um expectations i guess you could say you're you're 100 right if i find that for whatever reason in our society is females can be as picky as they want they can say whatever they want um in terms of looking for a partner but when a dude says you know that they that they prefer a, a girl with a larger ass let's say you know then all of a sudden it becomes not, not necessarily an issue, but it, it's seen, I feel like it's more um, judged upon. I don't know, like, if you're saying, like, this is what I prefer in the way somebody looks coming from a male, it's like, well, you shouldn't say that. You should be looking for personality. But then a female can say, if you're not, if you're not this tall, then don't talk to me. And it's like, okay, well, is that not necessarily like height shaming somebody? Like all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, I was born like this. I can't do anything to change this. And you're saying that, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like I'm fine with people having their preferences, but then you can't, you know, hate on them for having such preferences. And I feel like it's just worse uh, male to female. I don't know why that is. But I, you can definitely feel it, and maybe that's just my bias as a dude. Who knows? I think I know. I, I don't. I don't. I don't necessarily think so because I think there's a lot of rational females out there that um, that look at men for for what they are as people, um, as opposed to what they are. You know what they look like, and this is a very shallow example. So I'm just gonna go out and say that before I say it. Um, you see a lot of dudes with girls and you know, their, their spouses or their girlfriends or whatever. And you kind of look at them and you're like, shit, this dude's fucking punching eight classes above what he should be. You know, you know what I mean? Like, so, you know, there are definitely a lot of women out there that understand that. And I respect that, but I will say you walk into a club or, you know, a bar and the females dominate what happens because they choose at the end of the day, what happens as a guy, you can be calm. Don't get me wrong. Like you, as a guy, you need to have self confidence. Just because you feel like you don't match what females want or what women want in this day and age, doesn't mean that you shouldn't have any confidence in yourself. Because that just that just takes you out of the fucking like it. It, it takes you out of the arena. You're not even competing at that point. Shooters gotta but shoot. Shooters gotta shoot. Exactly. Um, you always got and like and, and just a quick side note. If they say no. That's not the end of the world. You got to keep trying. If you fucking never take a shot, then you're never going to fucking succeed. Um, but aside from that, when you go into a bar or club, if you're like, I feel like women will immediately 
dismiss you if you're not, you know, if you don't look a certain way, if your physique isn't a certain way, or if you're not a certain height. You know, some women have uh, skin color preferences. There's, there's a, there's a lot of dudes out. There's a lot of uh, women out there that have extremely specific preferences. Like, I only date fucking guys that play baseball, or I only date guys that play hockey. Okay, so you only date get guys that play hockey. So you just took out basically every other race that there is. So you're telling me you date white guys is what you're telling me. Um, and that always irritated me, man. There's like three or four girls that I can immediately think of from high school that actually said that shit. Like, openly said that shit. I only date guys that play hockey or whatever sport. Um, so, yeah, on that notion, I don't think guys get enough respect, man. Like, I can, like, or not me, but like some guy can be like, yeah, like, I only really want to date a girl that's like, you know, this height and they, they have to have a chest like this and a back like this. And that's just my preference. But if they say their preference, it's like, oh, you're a shallow douchebag because you fucking have preferences. Now, I'm not saying you should be sleazy about it (laughs) and fucking say disgusting ass shit to women because that's just disrespectful. But come on. Why are you being so hypocritical, you know? Um, I don't know how this this kind of complex has begun um, because I honestly have no fucking idea. But women have all the options generally. So I find no matter where you kind of tear yourself on how you um, would gauge yourself physically, like um, like your physical appearance, like on a scale of one to 10, whatever, whatever, whatever you f- may find yourself on that ranking as a woman, and I could be wrong, is that there's always some sort of, there's always a still a male that will still seek out your attention no matter where you are, but you could be like a semi decent looking guy and you still have to like work pretty hard because for some reason, and again, I don't know why this is, but women have kind of just got the luxury of, you know, waiting and, you know, men coming to them and chasing them and men are just, you know, kind of eternally stuck as the ones doing the chasing. So I think maybe it's looked uh, upon weirdly or, you know, negatively when, the person who's chasing is now like, okay, well, I have these preferences because it's like you're kind of in the role of taking what you can get, not necessarily making these decisions. And this doesn't apply to everything, but I do feel like it's in kind of that weird sort of, you know, that game of chase where the women have all the power and they can say, you know, if if you were to take a, um, a Tinder profile, for example, if a woman right. swipes and... I don't, which way is it left? Is left accepting of people? I don't know. If, I, I don't know. <laughs> if, if you, if you swipe to match with somebody as a woman, there's a 95% chance that you will match with that dude right away. And then you see dudes on TikTok literally swiping on all of them, all the, all the girls, they don't even look, they just start swiping and they're accepting as many as they can in this short, in whatever time frame you have. Right. And they'll get maybe like three matches. So that kind of is the only point that I can make to really back up my argument of, you know, men being the the chaser and the women being the one getting chased. But it does feel like that. And I don't know why. Right. And I, I the an example that I, I, I might be able to provide is two of my roommates. And I, I think, I think everyone in this house is at least, you know, 
I don't know. I don't want to get into this. Um, but two two of my roommates, one of them specifically, Carter, is a good looking dude. He is a objectively good looking guy. Um, has an incredible physique. Uh, face down, good looking guy. You know, he has he has the you know the the, the white boy eyes, nice pretty mustache, nice hair, all that kind of stuff. So he's classically good looking. Now I will tell you out of experience that I've gone out with this kid, and women throw themselves at him. You know, women that are with other guys that are fucking with their boyfriends out on a night out or whatever at restaurants, and they'll just stare at him. And it almost makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, shit. Like, this is one of the, one of the, or I guess this is a one-off where it's almost the opposite. Women just, like, throw themselves at him. And, like, you know, in public, it takes a lot of confidence to be able to do that. But on social media, you know, the DMs are always popping, you know? So, you know, that's just an example of when it happens to men as opposed to, you know, the, you know, women chasing men as opposed to men chasing women. Mm-hmm. But that is a one-off, man. That happens like one in a million times. You have to, you have to be like an objectively perfectly looking male for that to happen to a guy. But for a woman, you don't. Like you said, you don't. Um, now, I'm going to say something that maybe not all guys agree with, but I think most will. Unfortunately, you can be a really, really good guy and a really, like, you mean well and, you you know, you love your partner or whatever the case is. But a lot of the times, most of the times, men kind of are in it for something. They're in it for, <laughs> they, they want to be with a woman for a reason, right? They And, you know, I'm just going to say it. Men want physical interaction. They want some form of sex. They want some form of, like, emotional, not emotional, sorry, physical um, sort of relationship with someone. I, in my opinion, more than women seek that out. I think men seek it out a lot more. And as a result, they kind of just take what they can get, as you said. So, and again, I don't, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the scale thing, man, because the, the way someone places on your scale is completely dependent on how you perceive that person, what you like. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think part of the reason men are always chasing is because unfortunately, I think we all have a little bit of sleaze in us and we want one thing. Um, so we kind of just take what we can get. I'm going to clap back <laughs> a little bit and clap. not yeah, clap, baby. Yeah. Um, not necessarily truly disagreeing with what you're saying because I do agree that that is a factor. I think though through the um, argument you were explaining with Carter, right, is that women shoot very high, men shoot lower, but if and I'm I'm just using a number scale because it makes it easy um, to quantify my explanation a little bit. I usually I don't uh, I don't really agree with using numbers to you know classify people whether it's for looks or personality. But for this case, I'm going to because it's easier to explain my argument. If because Carter is a really good looking dude, right? And let's say that girls that would fit into the 10, 9, and 8 category will all shoot for Carter. But then where's that leave the 9 and 8s of the dude category? You know what I mean? Because now they're all taken. They're all shooting their shot with Carter or they believe that they should be with somebody that looks like Carter. And now, you know, the good-looking guys that aren't perfect are falling by the wayside a little bit. And then that's where they have to, you know, put in that extra effort to achieve some sort of partner in a scale that they believe that they deserve or whatever. I don't know 
a good way to explain it, but like if everybody was supposed to match up with their number category, you know, if the eights are shooting for a 10 like Carter, then the eights of the dudes either have to go down to a less attractive person in their opinion, or they have to work extra hard just to get into the same category across the board. You know what I mean? They have to have a person that like they, you can't with Carter, for example, he, like, if, again, if we're using scales, if we, if we call Carter a 10 out of 10, um, and for anyone that just wants an idea of what this dude actually looks like, go follow him on Instagram. His, uh, his tags, classic Kissick, and you'll, you'll understand what we're talking about. Um, but if we're, if we're calling Carter a 10 out of 10, um, fuck dude, I think I literally just blanked on what I was going to say. I need to start writing shit down. <laughs> That's um, uh, yeah. So I'm on. Fuck dude. Uh, I think yeah. I don't, don't stress it. about I don't it. Know. I don't know what I was gonna say. I yeah. I honestly don't know how we dove into this so much from going from obesity into males chasing females. I have no idea how we got here, but I do think we should link back and get back into the the main topic. Obesity. Yeah. Um. I don't know how we yeah. want to do that, but we could go into uh the healthcare system like you had planned, and then see where we go from there. So. <clears throat> Um, in Canada, we don't have to pay much um, for healthcare. We don't have to pay anything for healthcare. Um, and what that means is I can, you know, break my arm and go to the hospital and I won't pay a single penny. Um, even if they put shit on me like a cast or something, I still won't pay a penny. As long as I, you know, go to a hospital and stuff, and they'll treat me and they'll, they'll figure it out. Um, the only thing, oh, and I also don't have to pay for like doctor's visits or anything. There's no premium that I pay for that. I mean, our taxes pay for that, but we don't have to pay for anything extra. Um, outside of our sort of main care, we only have to pay for things like dentistry, um, and secondary, like ambulatory things like uh, physio, chiro, that kind of stuff. Um, which hopefully you work at a place that gives you those things. Now that's just to understand the basis of how our healthcare system works. We're very blessed because we don't have to think about much. Um, one thing that we would discuss and debate about a lot in one of our, uh, uh, physical health and education classes was how long will our healthcare system last at the capacity that it is right now. Now, what that means is that our population continues to grow and our population is, is built of different sort of uh, different kinds of people. Um, we have sort of boomers that are now getting older. We have an older generation than that as well. So those generations, um, let's just call them 50 and above. They already have some form of strain on the healthcare. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean that realistically speaking objectively um let's say you go you're over the age of 50 and you start having issues like high blood pressure etc so as a result you're being prescribed more medicine now that already is a, a slight strain on the healthcare system so that's one side now the other side are people that are born with things so you're, you're born with an issue you have um you need a lot of treatment um so you're you have some form of strain on the healthcare system and then another one is your some form of severe illness, like you have cancer or something like that. And again, full respect um, to any anybody going through those kinds of issues. Um, but that does put a different kind of strain on the healthcare system. Then you have people that have the choice to be healthy and they don't, they aren't. Um, now I'm talking about people that are born healthy. They may not have a lot of genetic disorders. Now some things are genetic, which are unfortunate. Like um, certain certain things can be. Um, Certain genetic factors are more present in people if they choose to be unhealthy. We're, we'll use the word unhealthy as a general term. 
Um, for example, if a lot of people in your family have diabetes and you're more at risk for diabetes, if you're born, you're still born a healthy person, but then you choose to make dietary choices that push you towards that direction, you may be more likely to get diabetes. And as a result, you're a strain on the healthcare system. Now, my main point on this is obese people. So we're again, Devin and I are not talking about your just classically overweight person. Like we all, you know, both of us have been overweight at times in our life. It's okay to fluctuate. That's just how it goes. We're talking about that smaller percentage that is obese. Now, that percentage of people, they put a strain on the healthcare system, as I was saying, because they're pushing themselves towards illnesses that are based on lifestyle factors. Um, lifestyle factors meaning exercise will we'll kind, of, we'll kind of narrow lifestyle factors into two categories being exercise and diet. You can be pretty healthy without exercise. Exercise can, can help keep you young. It can help keep you away from illness. So I'm not harping on exercise at all. I'm a huge fan of it. But all being said, like, you know, at the end of the day, if you eat within your caloric range and you eat generally healthy foods and you think about trying to get your both your macronutrients and micronutrients on a daily basis, you can, to the most part, assume that you'll be a healthy individual, right? So that's all it really takes. But once you stray from that and you hit obesity, you put so much strain on the healthcare system that the worry is in Canada that we won't have a healthcare system to lean on because of these people. So I just I just threw a, a bunch of sort of overall points on our healthcare system. I'll leave it there and I'll let you I'll let you take it away. Um, yeah, one of the largest things we were talking about was moving towards a mixed system opposed to it being completely like a um, public healthcare. You know, we pay our taxes and you get whatever. Um, we did we did, we did talk about in one of our classes moving it to a privatized uh, public mix only because then um, one of the bigger issues for anybody listening uh, that doesn't live in Canada, one of the biggest issues uh, for us right now is time. So you might need something done, a surgery or whatever, but you might have to wait six months before you actually can get slotted in. Um, and I mean, it will kind of, it would kind of moves to a more elitist thing as well if it's privatized because then you can pay for it and you get it done, right? Which is, which is good for the people that can afford it, but not so good for the people that don't. But then you have the mix. So if you can't afford it or you don't want to pay for it, whatever it may be, um, then you do take the public route. I believe that a perfect system, in my opinion, would be a complete, completely public, um, unless, like you said, it's a lifestyle factor illness. So if you if you have no, uh, if you're not predisposed to diabetes, but you get diabetes because you weigh 450 pounds and you drink two liters of Coke every day, I believe that you should have to fully pay for your medical bills. Um, because what you're, like you said, what you're doing is you're putting strain on the healthcare system to deal with the issues that you have now created out of thin air, theoretically. Um, and you, you might be taking away resources for people that don't have that option, that don't have the option to live a healthier life to, you know, kind of thrive. So I do believe that there should be some level of privatization. But I also don't want it necessarily to become, you know, an elitist thing where rich people thrive and poor people get put down more, which is common in our society, I suppose. Right. So based on what you're saying, um, what I'll bring up, and I, and I would love to hear your opinion on this, 
there are other models that we've we've discussed in our classes, but something that I've thought about individually as well is the idea of a fat tax. <laughs> um, <laughs> and fat tax um, sounds pretty harsh, but let me explain. So there's two different ways that I can imagine this being applied into our society. The first and f- first and foremost, I think part of the problem with obesity is that junk food, um, things like make well, junk food's a little bit of a wishy-washy term, but things like McDonald's, uh, Wendy's, stuff like things that we would class uh, we traditionally classify as junk food, they're very accessible because they're very cheap. Yeah. So it's a lot easier for me to you know go to McDonald's and get enough food to essentially feed a whole family than it is for me to go to Jugo Juice and get a, a meal for one person or two people or whatever. So with that in mind, a way that we could apply fat tax um, would be to tax what we traditionally classify as junk food higher and make um, quote unquote healthier food a little bit more accessible. Now, you know, healthier options are a lot easier if you just go to the grocery store and you make your food, then it, then it becomes you can make food in the masses and still save money in comparison to going to McDonald's every day. But when it comes to the quick and easy, which a lot of people have to do or they feel like they need to do or whatever, maybe we make junk food less accessible because if we do that, then perhaps it'll be something like a factor that, that sort of drives people away from it It's because it's just not as accessible. Now, the other way we apply, apply fat tax, now this is the slightly harsher model. And it kind of has something to do with what you were saying, where like if you're choosing to, you know, eat a bunch of junk food and, and drink two Diet Cokes a day and, or, or whatever and have diabetes, then you have to pay for all of your own medical bills. Something along those lines, but perhaps the tax, we just tax those people more so that they're contributing to the healthcare system more. So you're literally saving money by being healthier. So it's essentially the same model that you proposed. But instead of a private public, it's still public. Just certain people pay more. Um, I'll leave it that. I'll leave it at that. Um, I think that makes total sense. Um, it's it's almost like you know how they haven't they bumped up the prices of cigarettes in a attempt to get less people to or more people to quit smoking? Isn't that thing? Isn't the tax higher on cigarettes or something like that? I've heard. I've heard some. Yeah, they're. Because booze and booze and cigarettes, right? They're they're taxed pretty high, aren't they? I have I have no idea, but I I feel I, like I I've heard that are. somewhere. Yeah. yeah, I know cigarettes are getting kind of expensive these days, but yeah. Anyway, that kind of that kind of falls under the line of you know taxing junk food. I wanted to touch on the point where you know you were talking about the the most easy and efficient ways to get food, especially in a busy lifestyle, is the shittiest food for you. Fast food is you know the worst food for you and it's it is relatively cheap in a if you look at it on a meal to meal basis obviously going to the grocery store will save you money a hundred percent hands down some people don't have that option in terms of you know whatever's happening in their life so they go to fast food um i also think fast food in the u.s is cheaper isn't it but so I, much cheaper and the yeah. sizes are so much bigger man yeah so i mean that i mean contributes to a ton of their issues. Uh, but the point I'm trying to make is that I find that poor people, um, and maybe not necessarily just poor people, but people that aren't as well off are kind of pigeonholed into eating like shit. Cause like you said, if you go to, um, 
like a superstore, a grocery store, you can get a you can get a can of soup, like chicken noodle soup for like 99 cents, right? And that could technically be your meal, but that's not necessarily going to sustain you very well in terms of all the nutrients you need. It's high in salt, shit like that. But then you go look over at the organics section and everything's so fucking expensive. It is so expensive to be to want to be healthy in a grocery store even though you're still probably saving more than eating fast food. It's 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 just on like another caliber where I'm personally like I'm not fucking paying for this. You know what I mean? Like it's like sometimes it's like three, four dollars more for the same product or like I mean obviously a healthier alternative, if you will, but fuck that, man. And I feel like and I mean you can kind of you can kind of uh, relate this to a whole sustainability in general uh for the population is like being green and being sustainable, just like healthy living is fucking more expensive and it doesn't make any sense other than you know these foods are easier to make the people making them don't care about your health because in their minds you know you should be able to um eat it in moderation but i mean they're probably making millions of dollars so they can make it cheaper for the mass whereas these smaller organic businesses you know they don't have that luxury so i understand that but it is just so hard for people to eat well and you know be sustainable if you're not rich i find if you're if you're rich you have more options to do that and then you find out most of the time that those rich people don't give a shit (laughs) so they're not actually doing it so i just i i feel like there needs to be a a change from the government which would come in the form of a tax like you said in terms of you know taxing those to make them higher cost foods but you also don't want to make them too high of a cost where they are now where people like living at the at poverty line like that are eating this food just to survive pretty much you know now it's not affordable for them to to get and maintain their like just eating a regular basis of food you know yeah um yeah so i i, I agree with you in the sense that like i could be wrong on this and i i, I hope i'm not but like if I go to the grocery store and buy bananas versus if I buy like organic bananas, I'm pretty sure there's a pretty significant cost difference. The problem with that is that a lot of uh, a lot of these words, first of all, most people don't know what GMO means. Um, things like that. So like people are like, oh yeah, I'm eating non-GMO shit, but they don't understand that what what GMO means. Um, or, you know, what, what, what they, what they're talking about when they're saying that there's no certain pesticides or whatever in their food. Now, from my understanding, there's a lot of studies out there that technically in your body, like talking like specifically or or solely nutritionally, um, I can eat whatever fucking banana I want. It'll affect my body the same. Um, obviously over the long time, over the long term, pesticides and stuff aren't great for me. And I understand that. But at the end of the day, I would rather eat a banana, you know, or organic or not then you know some some shitty junk food um so i think part of the problem is there are too many buzzwords around certain things that people don't actually understand because they don't educate themselves so they try to buy the the best quality or whatever ingredients and it becomes unaffordable for certain um you know levels of household income so i think when it comes to people living in sort of less ideal conditions it's just about educating yourself on some things that you can do to stay away from some of like the fast food options um but also understanding and this is something that i'm just learning now in early adulthood 
um, is, you know, buying things in bulk and making things in bulk so that you have a lot more food. At the end of the day, I think the cost is still, you know, relatively the same. That being said, it d- depends, right? Like if you're at that line of poverty where you're literally making, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month um, and you're only getting paychecks so, you know, frequently, it is hard to buy things in large quantities because you don't have the money to buy things in large quantities. Mm-hmm. So you start buying things off the off the dollar menu. And I agree, man. And like, dude, college students, um, you know, sure, their families may not be necessarily in poverty, but I would say most college students are, man. Like, I remember back in the day when we were in university, it was just, it's just when you're at school for 12 hours, bro, and you actually care about your grades and you're putting in the work and, and you know, you're doing everything you can to succeed. Sometimes it's just hard. It's just easier to buy a fucking massive ass crate of ramen and just eat that every single fucking day for four years, man. So I, I like, I totally understand. And I think it depends on your phase of life and your level of, of wealth as well. Um, but I do think that there's a huge educational sort of portion of it with, with sort of, you kind of have to take it on yourself to understand how you can save money in the, in the healthier spectrums. Um, but also let's just talk about like the middle-class stupid people or whoever, like people that could just afford food or whatever. It's not an issue. And they at, you know, A and W or wherever, because all over their walls, they're just these fucking like free caged, free run chicken, you know, triple mm-hmm. A beef and all that shit. And nobody knows what any of that means, bro. Mm-hmm. For example, free, free range and cage free for something to be free range. It literally like for chickens to be free range, they have to have like two meters of open space outside of their coop or whatever. So they can have like literally this much space and never go outside and they can call them free range. So there's a lot of like choice words that people sort of, shove down your throat and you're like i'm making a better choice when in reality you're still eating shit yeah yeah um i mean they've just done a great job in in marketing and trying to make it seem like they're the most they're the healthiest option and honestly you can kind of feel it in the food that they make too like when you have an a and like a meal from a and w yeah you still kind of feel like you ate fast food, but feels a lot better than a full meal from McDonald's. You know what I mean? Like after you eat McDonald's, you feel gross as fuck. After you eat A&W, you're kind of just like, okay. So, I mean, I, at least their food matches what they're saying in that sense. But in terms of it actually being healthier for you, pretty much not. <laughs> not. Um, um, do you have something to say? Sorry. No. Uh, going back to the models. And that's why I feel that the the initial model of taxing the food would be a good idea in theory, but I just feel like it might push some of those things because then you have to make a bunch of regulations, right? And then all, all of a sudden, maybe these regulations make the food uh, not as easily to be produced, and that also raises the cost. And all of a sudden, the the people at poverty line can't afford the regular food that they were getting before. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea in theory. I just don't think if it was to come into practice, I don't think it would be successful. Whereas kind of going back to the, um, the tax them if they are obese, you know what I mean? Like, um, I, that it makes it hard again too, because like, how's the government going to be like, what's the proper weight? Because technically you can look at, um, you know, bodybuilders, right? Like, and they're, they're classified as obese based on BMI. Right. And I guarantee you the government would use BMI because they're a bunch of, fucktards and they wouldn't yeah 
You know what I mean? So, and then, like, what's the line? Like, and what regulations would they have to put in place for them to even be able to say, hey, look, you're overweight. Now we're going to tax you more money. Um, yeah, I agree with you. So the, if we're looking at the body mass index, uh, which unfortunately like, is, is used very frequently, um, you'd be surprised how many people are considered overweight, right? Because, you know, you can be a shorter guy, but have a ton of muscle on you and you can be overweight, um, which is what Devin's alluding to. Um, what I would say would be the sort of way to implement something like this. And it would mean a lot of competency from physicians because unfortunately, just because you go to med school doesn't mean that you're a competent physician as far as I'm concerned. Um, but what I would say is that people should have to go for an annual checkup, um, which is probably something you should do anyways. So it's not really a huge thing, but I think it should be a little bit more mandatory where every year you go for one checkup and the physician sort of does, it sort of calculates the, you know, your weight, not based on BMI, but maybe based on like a caliper test or something of that nature. Maybe, no, fuck that. Maybe not even that. Maybe it's not even about the percentage of, of fat that you hold or how, you know, you know, classically obese you are. But perhaps once you go into the range where it's like, okay, you've been obese for a few years now and I just diagnosed that now you have diabetes, right? Hmm. And I, as a physician, know that it's because of your choices, not because of any sort of genetic conditions or maybe like high blood pressure or maybe you're more at risk for a heart attack. Things like that. Where it's like, okay, you've been smoking for 10 years and you just had a heart attack. You're going to pay for that because you did it to yourself. You know what I mean? So maybe maybe it's just like a, a very individualized like person-by-person person approach where the physician ultimately determines whether or not whatever illnesses that you have are a result of you being overweight. That being said, if you're just like overweight or even obese and you don't have any other of those health conditions, you don't get taxed anymore. The only issue I could see with that is then people start to lie, right? Like, and then, you know, then maybe they don't catch things as early. Because if, yeah, if I said, if I have to go in for an annualized test, right, and I know that my answers are going to change how much money I may owe or may owe in the future, then I'm going to lie. If they're like, have you quit smoking? I'd be like, yeah. And then all of a sudden, now it's not on the record that I've been smoking for the last 20 years and I get lung cancer but maybe maybe we see and this is this is where it gets kind of rough especially for a lot of people who are fucking um i don't know crazy about human rights so albertans um but maybe we maybe we take some of those things away from people in terms of allowing your responses to questions completely direct the amount of care you're going to get perhaps if you are a smoker and for the most part, a physician should be able to pick up on something off if you have high blood pressure and yeah. you have low, low lung capacity, right? So maybe a physician can mandate tests outside of what you what you agree to. And, and again, that's a huge concern because then we're talking about patient autonomy. We're talking about human rights. Technically, um, in our world, we can say no to any form of care. We can say no to the EMS. We can say no to being in the hospital. Um, and nobody can tell us otherwise, even if we're literally on our fucking deathbed, we can say no and walk out. So we would have to 
kind of take some of those rights away and be like, no, I feel like, you know, I have, I have a suspicion that there's something wrong. We're going to do a blood test or we're going to do this. We're going to do that. But again, obviously, hypothetical world, tons of issues. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So these ideas sounded good, but as we kind of talk our way through them, it sounds kind of almost impossible. Because, I mean, at that point, if you're taking away human rights, why don't why wouldn't the government just take away the things that are technically shitty for you? You know what I mean? Like, they may as well just take away cigarettes and alcohol. But, I mean, obviously, there'd be a huge uproar over that. That would never stand. People would fucking riot in the streets. But what, like, what is the, what is the new goal? Like, what are we trying to achieve with our with our talk of you know this healthcare i mean like i guess we're kind of trying to solve a goal in our own world here because we're not actually probably going to go out and do anything about it but (laughs) what would be the possible solution other than these two kind of ideas of taxing people that we thought of is there a possible solution or are we kind of just in the shitter being like well it, it conflicts too much with human rights and you know people do have their ability to do whatever they want so right so the two problems that i see that we've sort of posed on ourselves um the first one being human rights and i don't really need to get into that um the second one you just kind of brought up you know if the government can take away human rights then why don't why don't they just take away alcohol and um cigarettes and junk food and all the shit that you know, causes these problems in the first place. In my opinion, they won't do that because at the end of the day, whatever the government tells you, they're, they want to make money and having things. Yeah. So junk food or like that, like the fast food community, man, they own so much shit. Um, they're, they're huge, huge, uh, they, they uh, profit builders for our economy. Um, and honestly, regardless of recession, McDonald's still be popping. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, and that's just how it goes. And the same thing with booze and cigarettes, man. There's a reason why when we went through a straight, like strict lockdown and everything's closed like it is right now, cigar you can still get marijuana, cigarettes, and alcohol easy, right? Like you can get all those things. And you get them because, yeah, of course, people are addicted to them. So if you just close them, then you have like millions of people going cold turkey and losing their fucking minds. But in another sense, those those sort of categories get a lot of money. So I don't I don't see... I don't see either way really happening in that case, but I think we, I think it would have to be more along this lines of promoting better choices. Um, like we kind of are now, like the government, like there's definitely a lot more out there now, I would say, than there was, you know, even 20 years ago with just like being healthier. And I think it's a lot cooler in a sense to be healthier and to have a decent physique, especially like in our generation and a, very much so in the generations below us. They're like, there's a lot of Instagram bodies out there. There's a lot of people trying to stay healthy. Um, but I think there just needs, I think we need to find a consequence for not at least trying, you know, without taking away human rights. I just don't, I don't think it's possible. I don't think that there's going to be a solution that, you know, does that for people that, you know, makes sense, doesn't impede any human rights, doesn't, you know, I just, yeah. I, I, I'm trying to think of what that could be, but really I don't I don't think there's a solution other than you know I don't like e- even the people that are severely overbeast they don't you 
you would have to imagine that they don't care anymore, right? Like, they've kind of just accepted it and been like, okay, well, I'm fucked. Like, I'm just going to do what I want now until I die. So, I don't know, man. There's, I can't think of a viable, logical solution. Yeah, and... Yeah, I don't know. And, and the, uh, obviously, again, like we're talking about this perfect world um, in our minds. And obviously, there's tons of, you know, resistance on in both cases. We could come up with something completely rational and logical to us. But, you know, the person next to us may not agree, um, which is why I want to kind of bring it into the one one other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about today, which is perhaps we forget about what we can do for the generations that already exist and more so focus our attention on really trying to manip not manipulate, but change our, the younger, the, the youth generations um, in promoting physical activity and promoting healthy eating. Um, and you could argue that, you know, schools are already doing that, but they're doing literally the bare minimum set up by the government. So from my understanding, right now, daily physical activity requirements for kids in school is 30 minutes, which is whack. Because when I was in school, I'm pretty sure I was in, phys ed was always an hour, but it's 30 minutes. Now, physical activity isn't actually, in my opinion, defined well. So they can go to phys ed and they can just, you know, they can do a lot of yeah, they can stand, I mean, stand, they can, they can do activities that maybe aren't really beneficial for your physical activity. Um, but considered, you know, the 30 minutes of daily physical activity, because it's within that time frame. Yeah. Um, you know, like going on nature walks and shit like that. And don't get me wrong. Walking is a great form of physical activity, but what the fuck you're not going, I mean, you know, shut like you're fucking 12 years old. You, you know, this isn't the time in your life to like, make walking your main form of, of physical activity. You can do more. Yep. Um, when I was in high school, we had things like fitness Fridays. So like we would, you know, have our, our modules and our sports all week. And then on Friday for our hour and 20 minute class, we would do fitness Fridays, which was literally just like, you know, grindstone fitness. It was like circuits running the Crescent stairs, running for time, running for distance. And it was a, sheer format to help us with our physical like with our genuine physical fitness um and they really tried to promote that and i really liked that i mean i didn't love it when i was in grade nine but every year after that i loved it because yeah we were actually doing what i would consider physical activity or exercise classical exercise in class and you don't always see that in high schools. I know a lot of high schools do the, you know, once a week fitness Friday kind of things, but junior highs and especially the elementary schools, they play a lot of games, which is awesome, but they need to make it sort of a little bit more exercise focused as well. So although I don't disagree with your, with your point, I just, I want to add a new viewpoint to it. Um, wrapping around to wrapping back around to when I, you know, I said it's an addiction. It's kind of a, it may, you can consider it, consider it a, uh, you know, cause I, I consider addiction a, uh, mental health issue. And so you can consider, you know, the food addiction, whatever, a mental health uh, addiction. And I don't necessarily know if schools, you know, providing that extra way to, you know, be in shape. It's not, it's obviously not a bad thing. 
in, in no sense could it be a bad thing but i don't necessarily know if that's the be all and end all because if you i feel like like and like we've talked about in the past is this food addiction stems from you know some sort of trauma or some some sort of avoidance of wanting to deal with you know other things so you eat to feel better you eat to do these things you know what i mean and then it kind of spirals out of control um because i feel like the people that struggle with these with uh you know being severely obese they might have been you know super active in their 20s who knows and then they just let themselves go because of something happened you know so i don't necessarily like again it's obviously a great idea and there's no downside to you know more targeted and more time uh given to physical activity in schools which should be done because it is way too low but i don't necessarily know if that would correlate to less people being severely obese right and i I agree. I agree with you. Um, for the most part, I, I think, I think, I think there would be at least a, a small signifying per- percentage that would sort of like show that maybe ingraining that more as a child would help because at the end of the day, like if you, if you teach kids to be resilient through exercise, so like all of us have coping mechanisms for um, dealing with stress or anxiety or trauma. If you try your best to make those coping mechanisms something that we traditionally classify as healthy um, and then teach kids how to balance it with exercise, then maybe when they're 20 or 30, when whatever traumatic event happens, they have the tools in, you know, they have the tools required to sort of you know, pick the better option to deal, um, then to, to fall back on things like, uh, you know, eating disorders. That being said, I completely agree with your point in, in the sense that, yeah, dude, I think a lot of people that we see in their forties, fifties or whatever, or like the cl- the classic dad bods or whatever, like those, you know, let's just use dad bods. A lot of the dad bods out there, man, they were, you know, high performing athletes in their twenties, Yeah, you know, yeah. or, you know, high performing might be a bit of a narrow term, but they were, you know, they played sports and they fucking worked out all the time and they look back at photos and they look fucking phenomenal, dude. Um, and I do agree that like, I mean, maybe it's not trauma, maybe, you know, it's just having a kid and growing up and like getting all those extra stress factors. And we've talked about time before as you're an adult, right? Like you, you, you run out of time when you're a little bit older and it becomes harder to implement things that are, you know, good for you, like exercise and stuff. It's just easier to watch TV um, and have a couple brews every night to deal with whatever you're going through. And I think that's how the dad bod has been birthed. It's just convenient. Um, and also a lot of women like it now. So it's even extra convenient. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but maybe, and again, this is a little bit on the human rights thing. So it's a, it's a big, maybe, well, actually, I don't know. Maybe you, if you pay for a gym membership and you can prove that you go to the gym, you know, X amount of times, or maybe you don't even have to pay for a gym membership. Maybe you just somehow prove that you're physically active two or three times a week you're at least trying to do something good for yourself in the terms of physiological health, you get a tax break somewhere else. You're being rewarded um, for doing something good. And it kind of works and kind of the opposite of, of this example where there are places in the world that have phenomenal LRT systems, 
like they they go through all the major areas all the neighborhoods all the buildings all the major buildings malls and everything so that it, it makes it a lot easier to use a train system whereas here in calgary we're very secluded you know to get somewhere it takes hours man now in those places you get taxed more for driving a vehicle so there's an incentive to not because you get a tax break if you just take the train it's also just cheaper for running costs so if we apply that same model into into physical fitness and perhaps you get a tax break for just being healthier then maybe people would be like hey you know i'm in a lower tax bracket if i just take care of myself so i'll take care of myself yeah it's a long shot yeah i think uh i think that's a better better idea than taxing because i mean it's an it's an inadvertent way to to tax the people more it would end up like the taxes basically what would happen is the taxes would go up in terms of what they take for you know health care and then you would get a rebate on that amount that has gone up if you um you know can prove that you've been physically active or taking care of yourself or whatever that may be I think, you know, it would be a lot of logistics to figure out how they would prove that. <laughs> but I think that's definitely yeah. I think that's definitely a better a better solution than we had before. <laughs> so decent. Um one thing that I wanted to bring up as well that we hadn't talked about, which is honestly the largest factor, I think, um, just on the lines because you were talking about school, right? Is parents. Parents ingrain the eating habits of kids extremely early you know if your parents are the type to go and get mcdonald's every day you're probably going to grow up and be the type that wants to go get mcdonald's every day so i mean how could you how could we govern the parents because you also do see some of the like not a lot but you do see as um, the population you know across canada and u.s gets more obese is you start to see the obesity in the kids really young you know what i mean and right. I mean, obviously, that's a lack of physical activity, but obviously, they're not eating well either. So, should there be a punishment? Should there be a requirement to the parents to not, you know, destroy their kids' lives before they're even teenagers? Yeah, man. Like, we talked about this in Anxiety and Helicopter Parents a little bit in that episode. Um, just like parents in general and how much impact they have over their kids. Um, here's the thing, man, the more and more we talk about parents, which we have quite a bit, it, 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 it actually terrifies me the requirements needed to be a parent. Cause there are none. You can literally just fucking pop a child out and nobody will say anything yeah. as long as you're, you know, around enough. Um, you know, you, nobody's going to take your kid away, but even when a kid, when someone does take your kid away, man, that's an extreme, yeah. like extreme case. And even then, man, social workers and like the whole system, um, the basis is they want to keep their kids with their parents. So it has you have to be pushed pretty fucking far to finally take that kid out, regardless of whether you're not in an abusive or addictive or whatever house kind of household you're in. I think there should be greater sort of restrictions to being a parent. Yeah. Maybe we say if you're planning on having a kid or you just had a, you know, an uh oh baby, an oopsie baby. Um, you are required to take an X amount of government funded, so it's completely paid for, classes. And it doesn't need to be a fucking crazy course. It can literally just be a weekend at a fucking strip mall. But it just needs to be something that can give parents an understanding that, hey, 
the choices that you've made up until now will immediately reflect on your kids. I'm not saying that'll change a lot of people. In fact, a lot of people are stubborn about their ways and they want to continue living the way that they are. Uh-huh. The hope is, is that maybe there's enough shock factor there for the parents that maybe, you know, would have exposed their kids to a bunch of bad habits or whatever, addictive personalities. Maybe it shocks them enough into like, oh, like what I do immediately impacts my kids because I unfortunately don't think enough parents are competent to understand that. I don't think enough parents realize that what they do um, immediately affects what their how their kids react to things. They just think that they have a delinquent as a child. Yeah, um, I don't think that'll happen. <laughs> no, good, I don't think it'll happen. Good idea, but I mean, <laughs> nobody wants more funding. Like nobody wants to pay for more social programs. Um, through their taxes so i think that's one of the issues um although a good idea in theory i and i mean a more realistic idea than i would have of just you know giving certain regulations and then being like you can't have a kid if you don't meet these standards obviously but um yeah i just think parents have so much control over how their kids turn out that you know i think a lot of people don't actually give credit for I think that good parents, you know, they they end up breeding good kids, you know, to a certain point, and they are like, um, you know, acknowledged for that from like peers and stuff, being like, oh, you have such a good kid or a well-behaved kid, but then at a certain point, like now, nobody's saying that I don't believe to like my parents because I'm not really their their kid, air quotes, you know what I mean. So they've raised me and I do believe that, you know, I am going to be even even into my 40s and 50s, I will have been shaped by my parents to a certain degree, um, you know, that that will impact me lifelong. Uh, So I think that it's really important for parents to understand that. And I think there needs to be some sort of regulations, man, on who can have kids, because there's a lot of there's a lot of idiots out there and uh, I just don't think they, I don't think they even take the time to think about these things, you know? No. And most, most, uh, most, you know, parents aside, most people don't have the ability to self reflect on themselves and really, really understand how they're affecting other people, let alone their, their fucking, their own fucking kids, man. Um, yeah. Anyhow, just kind of almost wrapping it up, but at the same time, not <laughs> okay i just see how you respond to this i sure, guess yeah, yeah. um kind of just going back to the to the initial sort of topic of obesity itself and obese people okay um one of the problems that i see so again so you know love yourself no matter what but understand that there's a line where you need to be healthy mm-hmm. and you take care of yourself um and you know take care of yourself so that you feel better and that you have a longer life but remember that you living longer might actually impact other people like if you have kids or a spouse that depend on you so remember those things i mean do it for yourself but remember those things one thing that i think can make um those kinds of people more successful because i feel like there are a ton of people that are not only you know like you know not even just a severe case but every you know i feel like a lot of people are just trying to lose a couple lbs man like it's part of life yep um but when it does come to the extreme cases, they see fitness models on the internet or they just see like generally fit people or younger people that, you know, look a certain way and they strive to that goal like it's going to happen immediately. And I think there needs to be some more education. And there are, there are you know, obviously 
social media influencers or whatever that talk about this kind of stuff. But I think it needs to be even more widespread into the general media where it took a long time for you to get that obese. You're not going to be shredded tomorrow. Take your time. And when you've decided to make a change, don't force yourself or hold yourself to these you know, these unprecedented, unrealistic standards of eating a certain amount a day, eating only certain few foods, completely staying away from other foods. You know, you have to exercise like fucking three hours every day, all that kind of shit. Because that's how you fail when you make too many changes too quickly. I think there needs to be more education on how slight changes can make big impacts. And what people forget when they're very obese is that given that they're so obese, they're probably already in an extreme caloric surplus. So even just reducing that by a thousand calories a day, like if you're eating 4,000 calories, which is a lot of calories to be eating, if you're eating 4,000 calories a day, reducing that to 3,000 calories and still eat the same shit that you like eating, just don't eat the extra thousand. And then, you know, continually building off of that to slowly getting into a more of a normal value. And then, same thing with exercise. It Exercise doesn't need to be what people classically sort of define as the perfect exercise where you go to the gym, you lift weights, or you run a bunch, you do all this, like you do classes, you do all this shit. You don't have to do that. Go on a walk, get a dog, go on a walk 30 minutes a day. Keep yourself accountable. Um, do a couple push-ups, do a couple pull-ups, a couple sit-ups. You don't even need to exercise for more than 15 minutes in the beginning, right? Um, and you will see literally drastic changes, especially when you're that obese, because your body's not used to that. So the physiological, there's no physiological resistance to those things. So I guess, again, what I'm trying to say is more education on making small changes. And I think there needs to be a little more control over certain media posts because people just see these incredible bodies on the internet and they see these people and they're like, yeah, I'm going to be like that in three months because there's like 800 transformation videos online and they did it in 90 days. So I'm going to do it in 90 days. Yeah. I mean, that's just not realistic. I think I I don't really have much to add. You said it very well. Um, I think people do start they're setting their goals too high, you know, especially when they're going from a sedentary lifestyle to like, and then they're trying to plan out this hyperactive lifestyle where they're going to the gym for two hours, you know, it's just not a great way to set your goals and you're never going to accomplish anything like that. Um, but yeah, I don't really have anything else to add just because you said it very well, other than, you know, even going from 4,000 to 3000 calories, like, I don't think you need to make that jump right away. Cause a thousand calories is still, you know, that's still technically that's a quarter. A yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's a lot. I mean, take that at face value, start slower if you would need to, but yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. That's the end of the podcast. Follow us on all of our socials, the av- at the average buds podcast, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> took I forgot, man. Usually I'm bang on with those. Anyway, we appreciate you listening. Peace. Peace.